Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, Father Josh Johnson, one of my good friends, priest buddies, he's at Sacred Heart right now as pastor. Uh, he reminded me of a story, an experience he had right when we were first ordained. It was my first year of ordination, his second, because his first year, he was assigned to Christ the King. So the student chapel on LSU's campus, he did a lot of ministry there, a lot of different things. But one thing he didn't do that whole year was a funeral. It was a good thing. All the, all the students survived, right? Okay, but he didn't, do, he didn't do one funeral, and then he got assigned to St. Aloysius. And the first day, he had two funerals. And he'd forgotten how to do them. He was like, oh, he was like scrambling. He was rushing around. He was just a mess. And then he got to the second funeral and he got to the homily. And this, this is what happened. He said something like this. I, I can't remember the guy's name, but Patrick, we'll call him Patrick. He said, we trust in God's love for Patrick. We hope in his perseverance. For many years ago, he was saved through baptism. And that moment, Pat, uh, Patrick's Baptist aunt stood up and said, he wasn't saved by baptism. It's just a symbol. And everyone went. <gasps> and everyone's like, what is he going to do? And Josh goes, woman, sit down. <laughs> Which he can do. And um, he's like, we'll talk later. Oh, gosh. Like, that was a, a stressful first day on the job. What a traumatic scene. Imagine if you were at that funeral. Uh, but it's all due to a misunderstanding about what baptism truly is. Every Lent, we get to look back at baptism because we're walking with our catechumens, those who are going to be baptized this Easter vigil. And we also get to look at our own baptisms, our own baptismal vows and promises, our own confirmation of that baptism. What is baptism truly? Is it just a symbol? Is it just a public expression of something that's already happened in our heart? Or does it actually do something? Is our soul changed? Are sins forgiven? Or as Father Josh said in his homily way back when, are we saved through baptism? Well, let's let St. Peter speak to us. So open your, I told you to put your bookmark where the readings are. Open it up to that second reading. We're looking at Peter's first letter, chapter 3. St. Peter, the first pope, the vicar of Christ, he says this. He says, beloved, Christ suffered for sins once, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, that he might lead you to God. So Peter starts with this. He starts with original sin. He starts with our unrighteousness. Like we can't save ourselves. We can't do it. We're prone to sin. You know, uh, we call that in theology concupiscence. Fancy word. You remember it from catechism. Concupiscence means 
our propensity to sin. We're surrounded by it. Just look around. If there's any doctrine of the church that is very evident, it is concupiscence. We just are prone to sin. We're messed up. That's what he's saying. But Jesus died for us and we can love with his grace. And then he gives the Paschal mystery. He said, put to death in the flesh. So what's that? Jesus's death. Okay. He was brought to life in the spirit. What is that? Jesus's. Y'all are not listening. Uh Uh-oh. Look, his death, his resurrection. What happened in between the two? Well, Peter actually mentions it. He says, in it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison. These are, this is his descent into hell, descent into Abraham's bosom, to, to preach to those and release those who went before, who are awaiting the Messiah, those who had died. We call that Abraham's bosom in, in scripture. But then he mentions Noah in the ark, interestingly enough. He says, God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through baptism. This prefigured baptism, or saved through water, this prefigured baptism, which saves you now. Why bring up Noah and the ark? Why did, why did St. Peter do this? Well, because he knows that everything in the Old Testament, all these prefigurements, all these types, are pointing to their fulfillment in the New Testament Just like the man in the desert pointed to the Eucharist. And if the man in the desert is just magic bread, not magic, but miraculous bread, then the new covenant fulfillment must be more important. It can't just be a symbol. So it's Jesus. That's what he said. And if Peter says the old covenant, Moses or Noah and his children and their wives were saved through the water, they were going to die They had special revelation. They built the ark and they were saved through the water physically. Their lives were saved. Then why would the new covenant baptism be just a symbol and not save us? No. In fact, Peter says we were saved. They were saved through water. And this prefigured baptism, which does what? It saves you now. Eight were saved through the water. If baptism is then just a cute ceremony. It's not just a cute ceremony. Is it just a presentation of a child to a community? Is it just a public recognition of of the world, to the world? If the ark and the flood save the eight, then baptism saves us all. It's not just a, a physical act. It actually changes our soul. And from our perspective, it is necessary. From our perspective, we need baptism and it changes our soul. It's called an ontological change. Ontology just means being. So it changes our being. We can never go back. We can't give it back. We can't give it up. Now we can get ourselves outside of grace, but we'll never be unbaptized no matter what you do. You're always a baptized Christian. You know, one story of a saint stands out as expressing this reality. His name's Blessed Bartolo Longo. And I actually asked the bishop, I wrote a letter and the bishop sent it for me to Rome to get a first class relic of Bartolo Longo. He was a college student in the late 1800s. And actually, there was a lot of religious turmoil. There's a lot of anti-Catholicism in Italy at the time because of the revolution and taking of the papal states and all that. And he went to college and his professors were atheists and actually led him away from the faith. Sound familiar? Okay, so... He, he goes to college. He leaves the faith. 
Not only that, but he, had, he left a hole, a spiritual hole. And so he started going to seances. Then he got wrapped up into the occult. Then he went to a black mass. And then he was ordained a satanic priest. And you're probably asking me, why are we putting his relic in our altar? Like, what, what kind of altar? Well, he's blessed Bertolo Longo. Because his parents sent the Dominican priest. And they said, you're our last chance. Go get him. And they showed, he showed up and he said, Bartolo, if you keep doing this, you're going to end up in the insane asylum. You're going to die and you're going to go to hell. He was emaciated from fasting. He was going crazy. And finally, they argued for two weeks back and forth, praying, reading scriptures. And finally, at the end, Bartolo broke down. He went to confession. And he was forgiven. It doesn't stop there because Bartolo despaired of his baptism. He said, I dedicated myself to a demon. He literally named a demon and said, I consecrate myself to you. That's where he's at. He's despaired. He's like, maybe I can't get this back. Maybe my baptism was taken away. And he said in this moment of prayer in a field, our lady spoke to him and said, if you spread my rosary, you will be saved. So he spent the rest of his life giving people rosaries, spreading the devotion to Jesus through Mary's intercession. He built the shrine of Our Lady of Pompeii in Pompeii. Not only that, you know the luminous mysteries? We've got the joyful mysteries, the sorrowful, glorious. The luminous were written by Bartolo Longo, an ex-Satanic priest. In his journal, John Paul II read it, and he promulgated it in 2002. You can't lose your baptism. Nothing you can do is too bad, can always come back. Peter says, he's clear. He says, baptism is not a removal of dirt from the body. I'm not washing your baby's hair, okay? Most of them are bald, right? So it's not a removal of dirt from the body. It's not just a physical act, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Peter says in scripture that baptism does it. It forgives sins. It changes our soul. If baptism isn't just a cultural rite of passage, if it is not just a cute ceremony or presentation, then it must be far more dramatic. It's as dramatic as Noah's flood. Think about Noah's flood. Peter says Noah's flood prefigured baptism. What happened at Noah's flood? Well, everything was washed away. Everything was destroyed. Everything was washed clean. It was violent. It was drastic. It was awful. In the true sense of the word awful, full of all, right? You know, baptism, too, is awful. I'm going to use that at my next baptism homily. All the grandmas would not be pleased. <laughs> baptism is awful. Well, it is. Because baptism destroys. Baptism is violent. Baptism kills. Baptism buries. All we got to do is look at St. Paul. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So baptism isn't just cute. It changes us. Baptism doesn't kill the soul. It does violence to death. Baptism kills death and all that leads to death, which is sin. The old man is buried. The new man we put on Christ. When the sinful world of Noah was washed away, I'm sure it was a hard thing to witness for those who were on the boat. Imagine it. They're looking off to the left. They're like, oh, that's where my house was. There it is floating away. 
Look, there's Steve. He's going under the water. He's getting, look, it's just, whoa. Like, how dramatic, how scary. And yet, Peter says that prefigured baptism. Baptism, too, is a sacrifice. We give up all that would drag us down. If you flirt with sin, you're in the water. You're out of the ark. If you hold on to the past, then you're overboard. That's why we're here. Baptism ushers you into the family of God. You know where the family of God sits? Right here. You know what this part is called? This is a sanctuary. That's the front door. This is called the nave. The nave. Same root as navy. Same root as navigate. It's nautical. We're in the ship. We're in the bark. Not the bark of Noah, but the bark of St. Peter. The bark of Christ's vicar. That's why we have all our kids here. And we do have a lifeboat in the hall, right? If, if they need it. But like, this is where we want them if they can be here. Because we're all being saved. Those who are already baptized, you. This is for you too. Remember your dignity. Remember the great call of holiness you were enlisted for. I want you to hold yourself accountable in the same standard as a newborn infant after the font. Think about your last baptism. The last baby you saw get baptized. Hold yourself to the same standard as that baby. What do we want for these children? We want them to be holy. We want them to be happy. We want them to be fulfilled. We want them to be pure. We want them not to lie. Think of the first communicants, the seven-year-olds that walk up the aisle wearing their white dresses, wearing their seersucker. What do we want for them? What do we teach them? We teach them to follow the commandments. We teach them not to lie, not to steal. We don't teach them the sin. What happened to us? We grew old and our father is younger than we. We think we don't need to follow the commandments. Like that's for the kids. That's for the first communicants. That's for the babies. No, you never outgrow the commandments. Hold yourself to the same standard. Unless you are like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let Jesus's piercing words strike your heart this morning. Repent and believe in the gospel. Don't think you're too old that you can do whatever you want. I'm 42 and I can do whatever I want. I can do this. I can do that. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what Father Brad says. I don't care what scripture says. I care what I desire. Well, guess what? Jesus takes your desire. Live in your dignity. We cannot afford to not follow all the commandments. Guys, if there's something you're holding on to, there's something you're grasping and you're like, Father preached about that one time, but I don't want to give that up. No, I'm, I'm, I'm mature. I'm an adult. No, we're all just kids. All just little babies. I'll let a seven-year-old preach to you. So final thing in the homily. I'm letting a first communicant preach to you. St. Dominic Savio. He's a child. Saint died when he was young. He was very sickly. He studied at John Bosco's, one of his oratories. John Bosco founded the Salesians. And they raised schools for young boys, especially orphans. Dominic Savio was extremely holy, extremely pious. And I'm going to read you what he wrote for his first communion journal. This is his prayer journal, St. Dominic. He wrote these four things. Let it convict you. The seven-year-old wrote, I will go to confession and communion as often as my confessor will allow. I will sanctify Sundays and holy days in a special way. 
Jesus and Mary will be my friends. And the seven-year-old wrote, death, but not sin. Ooh, let's be like that seven-year-old. Death, but not sin. Please stand for our profession of faith.